Welcome to a Heritage Christian Centre podcast. For more information, visit www.heritagecc.com.au. We hope this message blesses your life. Well, the Word of God. Before we come to it, let's pray. Father, let your Word just touch your hearts richly today. We remember those who are battling through health issues right across the church, this church, and Jinjin, Childers, other church members, brothers and sisters in other churches across this city. Lord, we pray for healing virtue, courage, strength, soundness of mind, provision. You're an amazing God. You're good. Lord, you're good in all things. Let your goodness be manifest, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I've um, been preparing and, and sort of I've been battling in the last week or two is that what am I going to be preaching on? Uh, and, and somewhere along the track, I had, had this, that wonderful series that I really believe was the Word of God to us. And, and this week, it, there's a clarification to my heart. And, and it came out of preparing for a wedding. And uh, I was stirred in, in this, this, this thought about love and how love actually works. And, and love really, many of us hear the word, but love, love is expressed in some kind of action most often. The action is not love, it's just an expression of love. And I want to jump into a journey of looking at God's love expressed to us. I want to look at uh, the love of God to the church, love of God to the world, our love in response to the love of God. Uh, And I want to journey that over the next coming weeks. Uh, And as we approach Easter, obviously that it's an expression of immense love. But I want to journey toward that and we'll work on this. So let's have a look at John 14. We'll start. Um, This is an expression of God's love. Listen to the church. Jesus speaking to his disciples said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. Before we jump on and keep going, if if you read that in the New American Standard Version, which is probably the most textually accurate accurate version at the moment, and I'm sorry if some people struggle, and I think New King James or the Old King James is God's word. Paul didn't read either of those. Um, But the New American Standard, most accurate, would would read this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not, if you love me, keep my commandments, something. It's, if you're a lover of me, it will be normal for you. It will be a natural outworking of love that you keep my commandments. See, love has an expression, and so love functions. And, and I'll deal with that more when I talk about our love as a response to the love of God. So Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, But you know him, and it's important to get that he dwells with you and will be in you. So down the track a little bit. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. So Jesus straight away says, um, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit in a a greater measure. I'm not going to leave you orphans, I will come. A little while longer, he goes on, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So what we have is Jesus is beginning to prepare his disciples for the fact that he's going to leave. He's going to return to heaven to be with the Father. Now, if you want to chase that up, the Scripture tells me he's actually functioning on our behalf there. He's serving us by praying and interceding for us. So he hasn't just disappeared and left us. But he says this, while on earth here, I'm going to be going and I am coming again, 
But in the meantime, between my departure and my return, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. He's already with you, but I'm gonna send Him so He will be in you. And this is, this is the heartbeat of Christ. He, he doesn't want us to feel abandoned. He doesn't want us to feel alone in this period of time when He's not with us face to face, when He's not walking with us in that sense we can see Him and He's here. There, there's this wonderful process where He sends the Holy Spirit to be with us. And, and He re-emphasises the fact that he's going, he's going to send the Holy Spirit for that time between his departure and his return. John 16, 7, a couple of chapters later. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the helper who will not, he will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. See, God's love is demonstrated in the current and the continuing presence and working of the Holy Spirit in believers on the earth. What enabled the early church to live in his love and from my understanding what is and what was and is meant to enable the church today until Jesus returns is the Holy Spirit in the manner in which he enabled the early church from his departure till his return. And I want to look at that truth today because it is an expression of the love of God toward the church. Listen, we're not talking about the world yet. We'll do that another week. There's an expression of the love of God to the church. Sadly, history shows us that from Pentecost on, uh, the early church thrived. They, they estimate between 20 and 25% of the Roman Empire were Christians and in that context, Pentecostal Christians. Uh, which is what a Christian was normally in that day. And so what happened was over time, however, there was this compromise of the church and the world, the legal system of Rome and the church. And, and what happens then is instead of the Holy Spirit having rule and reign in the church and us following the leading of the Spirit, man decided he wanted to take over God's church. Uh, and he did it by being religious. Let's, let's take the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let's put the Holy Spirit back in a box so we can control him. Let's put it back in a box so we can run the church the way we think. We don't, we don't want the Holy Spirit you know, moving as he pleases. And the last thing we want is people in the church actually hearing from God for themselves. We want people to realise that they've got to listen to the pastor. Now, I'm not saying don't listen to the pastor, obviously I'm a preacher, but I want you to learn to hear from the Holy Spirit. I want us as believers to realise that the plan of God is that we should all be led by the Spirit. We should all learn how to hear from the Spirit of God. When we read the Bible, we should be reading it with a heart to hear from God. And if you're like me, and I hope somewhere along the track you've got some similarities, not in all, look, you don't want to be like me in many ways. But in the reading of the Scripture, every now and then you'll read and a verse will jump up out of the page and, and, and it'll speak to you. And that's, the Bible says, is rhema or the living Word of God. This is now not black and white text. This is now the spirit of the Word of God which impacts our life. And Paul was adamant that Christians need to live with this intimacy of the Holy Spirit so we can live guided by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, enabled by the Spirit, with conviction and revealing and this confidence and much more by the Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves. Paul says, hey, we can't do this to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God 
who also made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. If you've been around church any length of time, you know that people can take a scripture and stab you with it. You know, they can grab a word and make it say something it doesn't say and it hasn't been ministered in the way it's meant to be. So how is it meant to be ministered? Well, it's meant to happen. The Spirit's supposed to move. Paul says, let all things be done. He does clarify decent and in order. So the church was having problems at Corinth and Paul writes a letter to the church. It's probably the most spiritual church. I mean, they got prophecies and tongues, interpretation, probably got healings and the gifts or charismas of the Holy Spirit functioning. But they had a problem. They had a love problem. And Paul writes this letter. And in no way is Paul trying to tell them to stop having the movings of the Spirit because he says, let all things be done. But he clarifies that with a decently and an order. He's not saying don't let them happen. He's saying don't let them get out of, the, out, of, out, of the, out of the context God meant. And the context is always this. It has to flow from a heart of love. And so Paul writes, he says, nothing. If it's not done in love, it's pointless. So let me read it. 1 Corinthians 13, often used in the, this passage. Part of this is used in weddings, but it's written to a church as advice dealing with a problem. Paul says this. And though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, so talking about this happening in the church, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge and have all faith so I can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods on the poor, goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, have not, have not love, it profits me nothing. So he's got tongues, he's prophecy, faith, knowledge, helping the poor, sacrificing your life. It profits me nothing if I have not love. Paul says, I don't care what it is, you've got it, it's great, but if it's not in love, it's no good. It's pointless because love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't speak of its own. It's not provoked. It doesn't think evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You could do a whole study on verse 7 about love bearing all things. You know what that tells me? Yeah, love means we're going to have some problems. We've got to work through it because bearing is like forbearance. Uh, there's going to have tension, so we've got to forbear. Believing everything, hoping, enduring. Love, love is not just a nice feeling that comes and goes. Love is something that goes beyond a feeling to, to a decision, a choice that results in an action. And Paul's talking to a church that isn't functioning in love, has all these wonderful gifts, but isn't functioning in love. He's, and he's trying to bring their actions into a place of caring for one another, being kind to one another. Get rid of the pride of, oh, I got this gift or that gift. He's not saying the gift's wrong or the function of the gift. He's saying it's got to function and flow out of the heart of love. Love never fails. And then Paul shortens his list, but he's still talking about the whole list. He just shortened it because writing on paper or papyrus then or animal skin was very expensive. So he doesn't have to say it all again. He just touches a couple whether they're prophecies, they will fail. Whether they're tongues, they will cease. Whether there's knowledge, it will vanish away. But we know in part and prophesy in part. And when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. 
When I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. But now, for now, we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. Now abide faith, hope and love. The greatest of these is love. Now, it's an amazing passage. It really, we should meditate on, help and fill into our hearts this love and the heart of love. Uh, but people can misread Paul when they forget that there's a context. And scripture needs to be read in a context, not just the passage it's written in, but the context of, of the chapter, the book, the whole of the Bible. And understand that Paul, when he writes this, he, you know, He's got more time, but when Paul dies, this is past tense. And, and after Paul, 2 Peter's written, after his death, 2 Peter's written, Hebrews, Jude, John, 1, 2, 3, John and Revelation, they're all written after Paul. Paul had no idea what was going to happen with the letters he wrote. He was writing letters to churches to help them with their journey. Paul is not writing the Bible. He's writing a letter to a church. This church I went to has a problem. Here's some advice on how to handle some of the problems. And if you read Paul's letters to the church and to, and, and to Timothy, Titus, those guys, they're, they're, they're letters from someone to someone else, giving them advice in the ways of God. And so when we read Paul's writings, we need to consider how it fits into the context. And Paul didn't know there was going to be a Bible I mean, his, his context of the Bible was Old Testament. And he, he, he taught from the Scriptures. He showed Jesus was the Messiah from the Scriptures. And then he talked about the life of Christ. He didn't know we would get a New Testament out of his writings and other books. So Paul's not thinking about a Bible or anything like that when he writes. And so when we read Scripture, we need to be careful we don't take advice for a specific situation and attempt to make it apply more broadly than Paul or God meant. So let, let me give you an understanding or just examples of how people grab Scripture and, and misuse it to help us realise we need to read context. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. And if you've been around me at all for any period of time, you may have heard me use these two verses. They're amazing verses. But Proverbs verse 26, 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. So, so okay, I come across a fool, I say nothing. I'm just going to let it go. No, he's stupid, I'm just going to leave him. Now I'm going to make a teaching. Thou shalt never answer a fool. I've got a doctrine to live by now. Then I'm going to read the next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. Well, which one do I do? Which scripture do I take? The Bible says, yeah, it does. Which one? Which one are you going to grab a hold of? And people will grab a verse and, and pull it out of its context and miss that a lot of Scripture is held in tension in between different levels. And if we don't understand the tension of Scripture, we will get a doctrine that's so wrong it's not funny. Another example. I've heard Christians talk about you know, when, when Christians get attacked and criticised, we, we we've got to be like Jesus. You know, he, 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 he didn't say anything. And they'll quote verses, they'll quote Acts 8.32, but it's also found in Isaiah 53.7, which is, Acts is just a quote from Isaiah. It says, He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. See, Jesus didn't answer anyone. Jesus, we ought to live like that. Sounds good. Sounds very spiritual. Got a problem with that. Jesus spent most of his life arguing with religious leaders and giving them answers. 
Answers that confounded them. So how are we going to handle that? Well, Acts, 8, Acts 4, 8 says this. Uh, Peter and John, they're, they're in trouble for healing a man. I mean, how bad is that? You get a lame man healed and you get in trouble for it. You know, if you were lame and got healed in church, would you think there was a problem with that? We ought to be believing for miracles like that to happen. I believe they're going to happen and they're going to grow and increase in the life of the church. I believe it's time that God is going to bring that back and we're going to grow in the revelation. But anyway, Peter in Acts 4.8, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to the rulers of the people, now verse 13, and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated and untrained men, that, that uneducated and untrained, that's where we get our thought moron. So when the religious leaders looked on Pete and John, they were morons and they marveled and they realized they'd been with Jesus. So the answer back brought a revelation to the religious leaders that these guys had been with Jesus. So whether we speak or whether we remain silent is never the issue in either of those cases in the Proverbs or on this place. The issue is, are we hearing from God? Are we listening to the Holy Spirit from the Word of God and bringing life? Are we, are we learning to speak when we should speak and keep quiet when we should keep quiet? How do I know? Well, I learn. I listen to the Word of God. I listen to the Spirit of God. I look at the circumstance. Am I behaving wisely? Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? Should I say something? Think carefully. Don't put the address in yet before you send the message on email. Type it up and leave the address blank. Reread it. Work it, read it again, work it, and then delete it. You don't want to send it. Sometimes it's not worth it. Listen to Luke 12, 12. Jesus said this, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. It might be nothing. It might be something. So please don't make a doctrine out of not speaking. Please don't make out a doctrine out of speaking because it's not speaking and not speaking. Those examples were examples at two ends of the spectrum and the tension of Scripture is I need to listen to the Spirit as to where I go between those extremes. And that's what I want the church to do. I mean, if you hear me say stuff and the truth is in a message, you will all hear something different. Some of you will agree with something I say and disagree with others. Some of you might say, oh, it's great and do nothing with it. Probably not a good idea. Anyway, wrestle with it. Grab a hold. If you don't like it, wrestle. Go search the Scripture. See what it says. The Spirit will teach us. And, you know, I love the Bible. I'm not saying it's wrong. I want us to read it properly. I'm, I'm a fundamentalist, which means I understand I, I listen, what the Bible says. Is, it's it. But you've got to read it in its context, in its culture, what it means, the tension between the Scriptures. Is it a black and white? Is it, a, is it something not so black and white? See, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching. Well, is what I'm reading now for teaching or is it maybe for rebuking? Or is it maybe for correcting and training in righteousness? That's what the Scripture says. It might be all four at once. It might only be some of them. And at times I might need a rebuke. At times I might need teaching. At times I might need some training. Sometimes I might need a mixture of them. Sometimes I might need them all. Other times it's just not worth giving it to people. 1 Corinthians says in 14.38, if a man's ignorant, let him be ignorant. Well, that's, I mean, that doesn't fit with teaching people. Well, there's a tension again. Don't, don't, sometimes it's not worth your time to get into an argument with people. Don't, Paul says don't argue over pointless things. 
If you're going to have an argument, make sure it's over something that's worth an argument. Make sure the battle you're going to enter is one worth dying for. And so when Paul writes stuff, we've got to say, is he writing from the perspective of wisdom or is he trying to teach us something that's black and white? Is he giving us a doctrine or a dogma? What's he giving us? Well, we use the word dogma. You probably, probably need to grab three words, doc, dogma, doctrine and opinion. So firstly, opinions are like anything else, you know, they're just opinions. So you throw that away. But, and Paul actually says, I'm, I, I'm writing this because I think it's, I think it's right but, you know, just wisdom, figure it out for yourself. He's not saying it's God. And then there's dogma, which is black and whites. And there's doctrine, which is really important stuff we grab from the Scripture that are great to grab a hold of in our life and apply, but don't fight over it. Don't fight over it. It's not worth the fight. So those doing DNA this week and next week will probably hear some of this. So they're about dogma, doctrine and opinion. So dogma, which is actually a really tight part of what's broadly called doctrine. Dogma is, look, if we don't agree here, there's a real problem. Dogma would be um, God, <laughs> right? God, dogma. If you don't believe there's a God, then we have a problem right from the word go. If you don't believe God is, is eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing everywhere at once, we have a problem. You know, if your God isn't that big, then your God isn't big enough. So one, God. Two, God is one, but God is three who are one and one who are three. And it's God the Father, the Word who became the Son and the Holy Spirit. They're all God, but they're all one, but they're all three. Um, God is love and therefore loving and just. Jesus came into the world and died for the sin of all mankind once for all forever and rose again according to the Scriptures. Man by nature is a sinner in need of a saviour. God has ordained that man by faith in Jesus Christ through repentance and the enabling of the Holy Spirit can be restored to right relationship with God, being cleansed from sin. And the Bible is inherent, is the inerrant inspired record of God and man through the ages that reveal God's heart toward us. Now, they're, they're pretty much dogmas. If, you, if, if we're going to argue over that, we're, we're going to have an argument. Right, we're going to be, they're going to, they're going to have like a, an impasse of dis, disagreement because if you don't agree with that, if you're going to make Jesus a created being, we have a problem. He is God, eternal, always existed. He's incarnate, not created. Big difference. Incarnate means he existed all time past. Incarnate Christ, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us and goes on. So he's past, present, future, forever. He's God. Now, that's dogma. Now, doctrine is something we talk about, but dogma is a small portion. And so pretty much there's a couple others, but essentially that's the dogma. Now, the doctrine, these are wonderful things. They're, they're teachings of Scripture that have good foundation in multiple texts. And, and it's sometimes a tension. Other times it's, it's a teaching that doesn't have an opposition. And so they're, they're consistent and found in the Bible in more than one place. You can't use one Scripture to make a doctrine. You've got to have more than that and get the thought of Scripture and, and how there, if there is any opposition or following passage that might slightly disagree. So let me give you some consistent doctrines that have come. You've got to remember, the church was great, founded in the Spirit of God, prospered, and then when they brought a compromise and put the Holy Spirit back in a box, the church declined and went through what we call dark ages. It lost the heart of God. It became religious in its teaching. It became God is nasty. God is in heaven ready to throw lightning bolts at people. God is looking for you to find out when you're wrong. 
You know, he knows who's naughty and nice and he's going to give you coal. No, that's not God. That's fairy tale Santa. God, God's heart is merciful and gracious and, and the world made him religious and put the Holy Spirit in a box and, and we forgot what Jesus was like and we made God religious. It wasn't God that was made, their image of God. So, so what happens is, is history comes in, and then we have what we call the Reformation. And, and Martin Luther had this amazing revelation and it's called the just shall live by faith. And it's found in heaps of scriptures, but uh, let me give you a couple. Galatians 3.11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Now, you've got to remember, he, he's got a church system he's breaking out of that keeps all these rules and regulations. You've got to do this, got to do that, 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 got to say how Mary, some penance or whatever, whatever. He says, no. It's by faith in Jesus Christ that we are justified. In Romans 12, 17. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So we have this amazing doctrine called the just shall live by faith that impacted the church world and started a progressive increase in the revelation of God's Word afresh to humanity. Sometime after that, we have the Anabaptists turn up. And as the name suggests, they believe in baptism. We have a font over here. We take the lid off. We do baptisms. We, we get people, we bury them in baptism, which is what the term talks about. The word means to dip or immerse, change fully wet, whatever. Now let me read it to you. A couple, definitely one verse to start, but there's heaps of them. In Acts 2.41, it said, Those who gladly received his word were baptized. So there's plenty of scriptures about water baptism, about believers who give their life to Christ by faith. Listen, there was a tension then for people of faith because they looked at baptism as a work when baptism is just an expression of your faith. It's not a work of salvation, it's an expression of faith. I believe, therefore I do. Not I do, so I believe. And so there's this the, the water baptism. And then after them came the Methodists with this amazing revelation that we should actually study the Scriptures. Well, that's pretty novel. You know, God's plan was that we could all read the Word of God. I'm so thankful we have a Bible in our language and right across the world, a lot of people have Bible in their language. Some don't, but most do. And it says in Acts 17 and 11, and there's lots of places that talk about study. Psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But the Berean Christians, Acts 17 and 11, says these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness, searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. See, these are great teachings that the just shall live by faith, that believers should, out of a response to their salvation, get water baptised to identify with Jesus Christ. Then we should get into the Word of God for ourselves so we can hear the Spirit of God speak to us from His Word. I agree with all of those. They're meant to be an increasing, unfolding revelation to the generations of the Word of God, the nature, the heart of God. It all flows from God's love. God is bringing us back to a New Testament church dynamic. And then, then after that, and a lot of it came out of Methodists who, who was reading the Word of God and came across the, the, the thought, the text, the, the doctrine about Pentecostal 
being Pentecostal. And, and look, we, we don't disagree with any of those. We, we go, yeah, yes, yes, yes. These are good doctrines. Now, I'm not going to argue. If someone doesn't get water baptised, I'm going, you're going to hell. Da, 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 da. Thief on the cross got never got baptised. I'm sure he's in heaven. You know, I mean, it's, look, if you've got no water, throw dust on you, that'll do. No, no, no. Look, it's a doctrine. It's not a dogma. I would much prefer everyone, I would encourage strongly, 99.9% should get baptised. But it's, honestly, it's get saved, please. That's a dogma. Get saved. You know? So give your life to Jesus. And it says this, in, uh, and Pentecost is taught by Jesus clearly in Acts uh, two, uh, Acts 1, 4 to 8, Jesus says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We read earlier that Jesus wouldn't leave us orphans. He'd send the Holy Spirit not just to be with us, but to be in us. He told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem till they got filled in with the Holy Spirit. And Acts 2, 4, here it is. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. In Acts 19, 6, when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they, they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Acts 10, 44, while Peter was still preaching, speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the Word and those of the circumcision, the Jews, the religious ones, who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. It's the next step of the increasing revelation of God to His church. See, the Holy Spirit is what Jesus said, because I love you, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit till I come back. It's an expression of God's love to us. The Holy Spirit's here. And this revelation of Pentecost became increasingly clear to an outpouring that began predominantly around 1906. And Pentecostal church was argued against by many churches until around the 70s and the 80s. A real real problem happened because outside of the Pentecostal church, people in traditional churches were getting filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and praising God. Well, that really upset the apple cart that did. God is breaking out of the box. God is smashing their box and the Holy Spirit is escaping. And I remember when I first got saved in a, in a, in a church meeting in, in a basement in Ann Street. I, I'd, I'd been messed up for years and uh, you know, life, life was messing. I was messed up, rebelling. And my mate brought me to this church service and right across the back of the church, there were nuns and priests they're raising their hands and singing in the Spirit and speaking in tongues and worshipping God. And, I, and I, I, my dad, mate, was sitting there Venice and, and no, they're of the devil, the Catholics were, you know. They're from the Pope, the Antichrist. You know, it's like these people are worshipping God and, and probably they would, you know, some religious people, God has poured out His Spirit on, on the Catholics as well. You know, Jesus and the, the Anglicans and Lutherans and Uniting Church people and, and Wesleyans and, and Prezos and, yeah, and God is pouring out His Spirit. And right across the church today, people from almost every Christian faith, are, and there are charismatics amongst them, people who are Pentecostal, but in a traditional church. And now churches generally don't oppose it because they realise it's God. They just want to minimise and keep Him in their own little sort of box. But the Holy Spirit wants to break out. According to Pew Research, uh, Pentecostalism represents one of the fastest growing segments of global Christianity. At least a quarter 
of the world's over 2 billion Christians are thought to be members of Pentecostal or charismatic movements. Lively personal faith, emphasising spiritual renewing of the gifts, uh, speaking tongues, divine healing, prophecy, the things Paul said we should do all. Do them all, but make sure the foundation is love. He didn't say don't do it. He says just make sure the foundation is love. I probably need to address a, just a simple, small thought. It's, it, it used to be, it's probably so small, but it's probably still there. There, there is a little bit of doctrinal division and, and I wanna just touch it quickly. In John 14, the implication as we've read is very clear. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. I'm not gonna leave you orphans, but in the meantime, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to be in you. There's no question about that. And then 1 Corinthians 13, uh, in this passage, there's an erroneous teaching that takes the thought tongues will cease and says tongues has ceased. Totally different words, will and has. And there are two terms theologically. One is called exegesis, which is reading out of Scripture what it says. Another one's called eisegesis. It's reading into it what you want it to say with your presuppositions, your agendas, your biases. And, and there's no way that Paul is saying in that passage that these things should cease. He, I mean, come on. It, it, the passage has got, it's got helping the poor. For, no, no one's going to say you should stop helping the poor. But we just want to pick one bit out and say that doesn't happen. No, no, knowledge is still here. Prophecies are still here. Helping the poor is still here. Tongues is still here. And they, they try and take that simple phrase, will cease and make it has ceased. It's going to cease one day. When we see Jesus, Paul says in the context, not making a doctrinal statement, just making a statement to a church. It's going to cease one day when, when I'm face to face with the perfect. Now, some people want to say that's the Bible. We've already established Paul had no idea there was going to be a Bible. He's just writing a letter to a church. He didn't even know this would be in the Bible. He's just writing a letter. And to say Paul, oh, the perfect, Paul was writing about the Bible. He didn't know. Half of it was written, a lot of it was written after he died. He had no idea. That's reading into it what you want it to say. What most of them clearly say is, you know, like Adam Clark says this, um, when that which is perfect, the state of eternal blessedness. Albert Barnes says this, the sense here is that it's in heaven. John Gill says this, um, when that which is perfect is come, it took that perfect knowledge of God, of Christ, and the mysteries of heaven which will not be in this life, but in that which is to come. Wesley, John Wesley, the perfect at death and at the last day. John Albright Bengal, he says this, tongues and prophecy and knowledge never entirely pass away in this life. See, God wants the Holy Spirit in us. God, God wants His believers. Now, please, 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 please. Doctrine, this is not dogma. It, I think it's 99.9%, almost dogma, but not going to go there. If you're not speaking in tongues, that doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not with you. It doesn't mean you're not born of the Spirit. Please don't, don't misread me. But I would encourage you. Why would you want less than what God has for you? Why would you want less than what Jesus said? I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you and in you. And the Scripture clearly 
teachers being filled with the Spirit with an evidence, not a gift, but an evidence for speaking other tongues. And we'll deal with that after Easter as a whole teaching. And please, it is not to be confronting, horrible, nasty. Traditional church, years and years ago, Pentecostals thought they were better. No, we're not. No, we're not. We just got to answer for more because if we've been given much, we have to answer for much. So let's step into that. See, the love of God to the church is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the love of God to the church is the Holy Spirit with us and in us till Jesus comes back. Because we are not going to be orphans or feel like orphans. God adopts us into His family. The love of God to the world, which I'll preach on later, is Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of the whole world. The love of God to the world is the teaching, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The love of God to the world is that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The love of God to the world is to those who receive Him, He gives them the right to become the children of God. See, the the love of God to the world is that we can be accepted by God. We can be accepted into His family. We can be adopted. The Roman context of adoption is that if I adopt someone in my family as a Roman citizen at that point of time, when it was written, was that I could never put you out. I can get rid of my own kids, but I can't put someone out I've adopted in. And Paul's trying to tell the church, no one, no one can steal you out of God's hand. God will not push you out. The only one that can get you out of God's hand once you're in God's hand is you. No one else, no power on earth, no power in heaven, no power in hell can separate us from God's love. Because love to the church is the Holy Spirit, but His love to the world is what Jesus has done. And it says, whosoever will, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I'm not sure how many people here or maybe online are not right with Jesus, haven't committed their lives to Him. Well, I tell you right now, the love of God to you is that Jesus hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them. And He says, if we will repent, He will forgive us. Now, people think sin, when we use the word, they think wicked. Now, you you can be sinning and really nice because sin is just living without God as the Lord of your life. You can be a really good person but you still need to accept Jesus. And if you want to commit your life to Jesus today, say, God, I I need this. I need the love of God to me. Then then I'll ask you, would you pray with me? Whether here or online or even church family, you're right with God, but just encourage people to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Pray aloud where you're seated and, and let's believe God. And if you do pray today and you're in the building, please go to their information desk at the front and we'll give you a Bible and some notes and things to help you grow. And if you're watching online, uh, we'll, we'll send it to you. Just contact us by the website or call the church office. We want to help you get connected to Jesus and to know that God wants you connected to His family called the body of Christ, the church. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I come to You today. I ask You to forgive me of all my sin. Thank You for loving me and sending Jesus to pay the penalty for all my sin. I now receive Jesus Christ 
as the Lord of my life. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for accepting me in your family. Help me to find the family that you want me in while I wait till you come. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me pray for you, Father. I want to thank you that Jesus expressed the love of God to the church as well as to the world. It's not just when we come to you, but you move us from the world to your family. And Lord, you are very clear. You're not going to leave us orphans. You're coming again. And we're excited about that. We, we sense and believe that's not far off. We see what's happening in this world. And there is a, a stirring in the hearts that we are near the coming the return of our Lord. But in the meantime, Lord Jesus, You sent the Holy Spirit to be more than with us, to be in us. You, you, you manifested Your love to Your church to send the Holy Spirit who would enable us and equip us, who would convict us, who would reveal Your Word and Your will to us, who would help us with the tension between these balances of Scripture so that we might act wisely and live in a way that brings glory to Your Name. Lord, I speak wisdom. I speak revelation to Your people. Let them hear the Holy Spirit speak to them when they read their Bible. Even in the night seasons when they meditate upon You, let the Word of God come alive. Lord, even, even at times when it's out of the blue, Lord, surprise them with Your presence, Your power and Your Word. Lord, You want us to live filled, full, overflowing and walking in the Spirit. Lord, You don't want us to live legalistic and religious because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Let us walk giving life to people in Jesus' mighty Name. Lord, bless You, keep You, cause His face to shine upon You, give You peace. And let you have an exciting week hearing from God as children of God in the love of God expressed to you by the Holy Spirit. God bless you, church. Go in the grace of God. Love one another. Let everything you do flow from the heart of God's love. God bless you.